Tonight, if you look with me, please, in the Word of God, 1 Peter chapter 5, only one verse of Scripture, verse 7. And again, while you're turning there, uh, I do remind you that we're beginning a six-week study tonight uh, on uh, uh, the uh, overcoming or dealing with anxiety and stress uh, in a contemporary world. Any of you ever feel any stress in your life? Any anxiety in your life? Any pressure in your life? And do you find the older we get, the worse it sometimes becomes? And so one of the things I'm praying, God, show me how to deal with stress. Show me how biblically to deal with anxiety and to deal with these pressures in the right way. Because stress will kill you. But you know, if you take the word stressed and spell it backwards, it spells desserts. So I said, Lord, let me have the desserts of life and not the stresses of life. Amen? In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, Casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. As I talk to people almost every day of my life, I am reminded again and again just how stressful lives can be. I can see the stress in the eyes of many people, just as you can see it in my eyes. And I can also hear the anxiety within the voice of many of the people to whom I talk. I realize that I also go through seasons of stress and pressure and face anxieties as well. Stress is a word that we use today uh, in the face uh, to describe many of the problems that we face in our hour that we live. Many health issues are stress-related. Sometimes the lack of joy that we have in our life are stress-related. More times than not, we're all dealing with stress on the job, stress in the home, stress because of conflicted relationships uh, that we have with friends, family, and loved ones. A lifestyle change can also produce a certain amount of stress. A new baby in the house can certainly bring stress. Uh, a toddler can bring stress. Uh, when a child goes into elementary school, brings stress. We also know that when a child uh, goes to college, that brings an awful lot of stress. How are they going to survive? How are they going to do? And even during the empty nest syndrome, you would think, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty I'm free at last, but that brings stress as well. I remember that both of our children left home within about six months of each other. We staggered them out five years thinking that we'd have one at home for a lot longer than the other. But I think it was about six months they were both gone. And my wife, it kind of hit her pretty hard, I thought. So one day I came home on a Friday and she had this morose look on her face. And I said, let's go to Tampa. And she said, why? I said, because we can. Stress, it's always there. I know also each season of life brings its own certain amount of stress within that season of life. I remind you, stress by definition means a pressure, intense strain to bind tight, to subject one's self to external force. That's stress. Anxiety, on the other hand, is the feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, uh, typically about an imminent event or something that has an uncertain outcome to it all the way. I remind you today that the, the, the political unrest brings a certain amount of stress to our life. We also know that uh, with that being said, anarchy in the streets, uh, violence in our streets, all of these things bring stress to our lives as well. 
Uh, we listen to the propaganda on the news media and the lies they tell. It brings stress. The cost of living that we have today, I don't know about you, but that brings stress uh, to my life from time to time. It brings added stress to the stress that's already there. When you see the price of gas soaring, when you see the price of food going up, we went to the store last night for a gallon of milk and I had sticker shock when she got home. I mean, I tell you what, it's amazing how that cow juice has gone up in price. And everything you look at, stress, stress, stress. And yet with that being said, you, somebody said, Pastor, uh, you're telling Daniel about a bunch of lions tonight. You're, you're talking to David uh, about some giants in the land. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. And the more responsibility we have, the more potential stress that comes our way because of the responsibility. And pastoral responsibilities are no exception as well. Pastoral responsibilities are a breeding ground uh, for stress and stress-related ideas in our life. Stress and anxiety can lead to blood pressure that's high, heart attacks, depression, immune system deficiencies, asthma, gastric disorder, and stress has even been linked to cancer uh, in the lives of people as well. Among preachers, stress is one of the greatest things we have to deal with on a day-by-day -day basis. And if the pastors are feeling the stress, we know that those of you in the, pool, in, the, in, the, in the pews are going through stress as well. Now, many people think that as pastors, we are like Superman. They say, well, you're faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and you're able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. But truth be known, we feel more like Droopy the dog than we do Superman. We're supposed to have all the answers at every moment. We're supposed to be able to solve every problem that everybody has, to dry every tear from every eye, to know how to fix every leaky faucet in every toilet that may be leaking 24 hours a day. And the truth of the matter is, Mr. Miss Fixes, who we're supposed to be, but regardless of the problem, it is a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, and every one of us have more demands placed upon us than humanly possible to be able to solve and to do. But yet we place ourselves under those stresses as well. Now, I've often thought, my wife and I have talked through the years, man, if we could have just been brought up way back in the little house on the prairie days, if we could have been lived in the era of the Andy Griffith show, if we could have lived in Mayberry, if we, if we could have lived, you know, there on Walton's Mountain, man, it would have been great. But you know what? Those are fictitious places, and they're still stress-related. They open up every show with some d d catastrophe, with some major problem. But within 30 minutes of the show being ended, or 60 minutes if it's an hour show, John Boy has solved the problem. Andy Griffith diverted another disaster. And we know also that uh, Charles Ingalls or Michael Landon, he has come to the rescue once again. And they're just grooming you for another shocking episode of next week to watch them do it all over again. Life is not put together like that. We live in a pressure cooker world, and I need not remind you of that because you're living in that tonight, and you know that life is hard, and stress is part of the territory of life that we live in today. With every generation has dealt with stress and with anxiety. I've often thought about the brave sailors that was able to sail the Atlantic Ocean in those little wooden boats to settle America. How they fought the storms in that little wooden boat 
to make it here. Do you think that wasn't stress-related and full of anxiety? I've often thought about the brave soldiers uh, that settled their original colonies and how they had to fight off disease and uh, the, the scary and, and how they had to fight the Indians and how they had to plant their crops and they froze to death in the wintertime. I've thought about it. You think they didn't feel the stress of life? And what about the frontiersmen that settled the old west? My goodness, I've traveled out west on several occasions in an air-conditioned car and thought I wasn't going to make it. Can you imagine the first settlers uh, there with nothing but an axe and a, and a, and a, and a muzzle uh, walking to those places uh, trying to settle? You're talking about stress and anxiety. What about the brave soldiers uh, there in the Revolutionary War or the War of 1812 or the Civil War or World War I or II or the Korean War, the Vietnam War and all the other wars and skirmishes? Think of the stress. Think of the anxiety. Think of the pressure. Not only the soldiers that went in, not only you brave people here tonight that served, but the families that you left behind. The mothers, the fathers, the wives, the daughters, the sons the grandchildren, those that you left behind. Do you remember the stress that they had when they come back, when they come back whole? That stress and that's anxiety. I found it interesting in searching the Word of God, at least in the King James Version, the word stress, stressed, anxiety, and pressure are not found in the Word of God. And yet every one of us live with stress and pressure and anxiety perhaps every day of our life. And yet those words are not found written in the Word of God, at least in the King James Version. And yet we understand that stress and anxiety and pressure is lived out every day on every continent of every people group that's ever had oxygen in their lungs in this world. I don't care how you wrap it up or what box you unwrap. When stress comes out, it comes out the same way. Stress is the same for all of us. Every one of us live with a certain amount of stress in our life. Even little children, as innocent as they are, I can see stress in their lives from time to time. They live in dysfunctional homes, many. I told my wife, as good as we tried to be, we were not perfect parents by a long stretch. There's only one set of perfect parent, and that was God, and he had two kids that rebelled against him. But I told my wife, wonder what dysfunction our kids will say about us. I said, but at least we can put the word fun in dysfunctional. And we tried to do that. But children face a lot of stress in their life. Uh, they, they are in, in dysfunctional homes. They're dealing with puberty. They're dealing with stress. Children are stressed many times in home when parents are going through divorce, layoffs, moving from one city state to another. That's stressful on the child. They struggle through the times of pimples, and, and not being able to walk and chew gum at the same time, and the voice changing, and the gawkiness they have. That's stress for a young person. And then think about teenagers living in the stress they live in today, just trying to fit in among their peers. Many teenagers today are trying to fit in with their peers, so they have a choice. Do I go with the gang with the drugs or not the drugs? Do I smoke or not smoke? Do I go with pornography, a sex, violence, and gangs? Do I join the gang to be popular? That's stress upon the teenagers, and it's also upon the parents as well. And what about college students? I was 21 years of age when I went to college, and you talk about stress. I was under stress and anxiety every day of my life. I'm an old hillbilly going among people that were articulate, and people had some charisma about them, and people that were born and lived on the other side of the tracks. And I walked into college, and I felt like a duck out of water. 
It was stressful. And how many more people are like that in college? Trying to just fit in, trying to study, not knowing how, studying for tests and failing, and the list goes on and on. And then when the college people graduate uh, with their degree, many times they're left with a bill that's astronomical, that's stress on the parents and the, and the college grad. And only that, but will they be able to find a job that matches the degree that they had? That brings stress. And then what about parents who are constantly living under stress as they try to put food on the table, gas in the car, a roof over the head, as the heads of the family, clothes on the backs, that brings a tremendous amount of stress. And what about the season, season of the seasoned saints? Many seniors are in this room tonight. We're told if you can just make it to the golden years, boy, you're going to have it made. After that hard work, you saved up your money, you live on your retirement, it's going to be great. But one thing they don't tell you about the golden years is this. The doctor gets most of the gold, and we get stuck with the years. And that's the way it normally goes. I remember talking to our insurance guy. He said, if you could just make it to 65 and get on Medicare, boy, you'll have it made then. Well, I turned 65 last year. And Medicaid went up. Medicare went up. I thought as soon as I get on it, it's going to skyrocket in price. And that's the way that it went. Let me tell you something. You can have a nest egg, but sickness and assisted living can walk that nest egg out in a matter of months. And that can bring stress. That's stressful regardless how you cut it. When you get up and go, has gotten up and gone, that's stress. When your back goes out more than you do, that's stress. And when you're stuck at home and can't drive anymore, that's stress any way that you cut it. Several years ago, my wife and I were afforded the fact that we went on vacation to Alaska. Probably one of the most relaxing trips that she and I had ever been on together. It was a phenomenal time. It was stress-free. There was no pit, or no, 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 no big pit in the, in the bottom of my stomach. No worries for a few days. It was fantastic. But the closer I got to home, the bigger that knot got in my stomach because I began to feel the stress and the pressure of life and of pastoring as well. Let me tell you something, church. Leisure, exercise, eating right, and sleeping better got rid of stress temporarily. That begs the question, is stress God's way of telling us that our life is out of balance? Is stress and anxiety, could it be God's way of telling us that our life is out of balance? If it is, we better get us a place and get all balanced up again. Because I've got a feeling I've just spoke to every one of us in this room, including myself. Brothers and sisters, stress does not have to be our enemy. Stress can be our friend. Anxiety does not have to be our enemy. Anxiety can be our friend. Why is that? If we learn how to deal with stress, if we learn how to live with stress and anxiety that comes out of our busy lifestyles, if we deal with it the right way, we can have a healthier life, a happier life, a longer life, only if we learn how biblically to respond to stress and anxiety. I'm 66 years old. I'm still learning. How about you? Never give up on learning. Never give up on trying. Because God has a plan, and we have to sometimes relearn all over again how to deal with stress and how to deal with anxiety. So much stress and anxiety comes from an overloaded life. We're busy, busy people. 
I let the acronym for busy stand for brought under Satan's yoke. Stress and anxiety comes from a variety of sources. But the Lord tells us to cast our care, if you will, cast our anxiety, cast our stress upon the Lord. Why don't we do that? Why is that so hard to do? We will often, I don't know about you, but we'll often go before the Lord as I do, and we cast all that on God, but when we get done praying, we pick it right back up again, and we carry it with us. And he invites us not just to come and tell it to him, but to leave it with him. I shared an illustration years ago, perhaps maybe you've not heard it, but I read a story about a woman who was standing at a train depot with a big old basket, and she put that basket on her hip. It was full of goods, and then she had changed over and put it on this hip to hold it. And finally, the, 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 the train came and she got on and she sat down and put that old big basket right in her lap. She couldn't even see over it. And the guy beside her said, ma'am, I've watched you carry that basket for the last how many minutes? Why don't you put it in the floor? Because the train is big enough to carry both you and that burden that you're carrying. And that's the way it is with the Lord. We keep carrying it, but if we'll cast it upon him and leave it there, and let him do the worrying about it. Let him do the fretting about it. We just rest in him and his joy. But no, our problem is we want to fix it. That's how we're put together. How about you? We want to fix it. But the Lord wants us to learn to cast all that upon him. Brothers and sisters, we're called to impact this world for Jesus. But more times than not, we allow the world to impact us. And we often take our eyes off of Jesus. With that being said, while we're trying to save people, while we're trying to minister to people, many times we can't do it effectively because of the own stress and the anxiety in our own life. We need to fix ourselves before we feel like we're worthy to try to fix somebody else. Anybody say that problem besides me? I think it happens from time to time. Our failure to be a good witness for Jesus only adds to our stress only adds to our anxiety and only adds to the problem that we have. And friend, let me tell you, Christians, we're not exempt from problems. We're not exempt from stress. We're not exempt from bankruptcy. We're not exempt from foreclosure. We're not exempt from prodigals running away. We're not exempt from health issues, death, dying, and crying. We're not, we're not exempt from all the things that the world goes through. We're in this world, but we're not of it. And the same cloud that rains on your brother and sister is the same cloud that can rain on us as well. We're not exempt from these things. The stress of life eats away at us like a cancer if we don't learn how to give it all to the Lord. We're so busy trying to keep our heads above water. We don't take the time to recharge our batteries physically, mentally, and spiritually as well. You believe this would be a true statement? We're faced with our own limits of what we can do and what we can take. I've got a diesel truck. I like my little diesel truck. That thing can only pull about 8,900 pounds. My brother-in-law has, I think, a 45-foot trailer, and it probably weighs 14 to 15,000 pounds. I could back my diesel pickup truck to his trailer and hook that bad boy up, and it'll look good. And I've got a feeling that diesel would pull it for a while, but I've got a sneaky suspicion it wouldn't last for long. It was not designed to do that. 
And there are many times of your life and in mine, we are faced with our own limits of what we can do and how much we can take. But we keep doing more. We keep taking more without doing anything about it. There are limits to our time. There are limits to our energy. There are limits to our health. And there are limits to our money. And there's limits to our uh, experiences as well. With that being said, too many of us in life are living off of adrenaline when we should be living off of endorphins. The last church I pastored, had I not resigned when I did, I'm telling you, you're looking at a dead man. Because for the last several years, I was living off of adrenaline. My endorphins were gone. The adrenaline is not supposed to be used every day, but only in emergencies. And I took a 10-month sabbatical. Didn't know I'd take it that long a time, but I took a 10-month sabbatical. And you know what happened? I rested. I replenished. And friend, the endorphins began to come back into my life. And I was able to do the things God asked me to do. And I did it with joy. And I did it with, 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 with intelligence. And I did it with zeal. And I pray, God, I did it with wisdom. But we often go so many times on adrenaline when we are made to go off of the endorphins. Now, adrenaline is stored in our body, and it's used in time of emergencies, but too many times in life uh, we live off it, and that can be dangerous to our entire structure of our body. Adrenaline helps our body to react quickly. It makes the heart beat faster. It increases blood flow. Uh, to the brain and muscles. It stimulates the body to make sugar to use for fuel. And when adrenaline is released suddenly, it's often referred to as an adrenaline rush. I have seen people that were so fearful. I remember one time reading a story about a guy where a car turned over on a person. And a guy had an adrenaline rush. He went and picked the entire back of that car up just in order to move that man out some of the friends. He didn't have the strength to do that, but when that adrenaline kicked in, he was able to do it. God does not intend for us to live with that adrenaline rush, but when we're living under stress and living under pressure and living under anxiety, that's where we're living with that adrenaline. And it brings harm to the entire body. Again, common side effects to adrenaline is breathing problems, Fast or pounding heartbeat, pale skin, sweating, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, weakness or tremors, throbbing headache, or feeling nervous, anxious, or fearful. That's what we do when we are full of anxiety and stress and we're living off of that adrenaline. But endorphins act as an opiate receptor in our brain that reduces pain and boosts pleasure resulting in a feeling of well-being. Endorphins are released in response to pain. Endorphins are released in response to stress. And they're released the same way during other activities like eating or, or like exercise or even sexual activity with your spouse. When you begin to live off of adrenaline, we're plainly getting close to burnout. Now I want to stop for a moment and let that sink in. How do you and how do I deal with stress and pressure and anxiety? Are we operating from the adrenaline rush? Or we take the time to be still, to cast our care upon the Lord and leave it, and operate with the endorphins? Are you with me? It's important. 
Because if all we have is adrenaline rush, adrenaline rush, and adrenaline rush, and if we'll be honest, that's where most of us are at, we are at the point of burnout in our life. Rather than rest and regroup, we run faster, we climb higher, we work harder, and we put more and more on our plates. Why do we do that? Because we are paid to get the job done. We're expected to perform by our bosses, by our employers, by our families, and even by ourselves. We were hired to produce. And there are many companies that put more stress and more pressures on us every day to produce more for the almighty dollar. And it's killing their employees. And when the employees are dying because of burnout, they go to say, my, 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 don't he look natural. Next, let's bring somebody else in and see how we can do and hurt them. People are counting on us. It's expected of us because we're paid to produce. And when we've come to wit's end, we normally add more and more and more to our plate, creating more anxiety, more stress, and more pressure. If you look in 1 Kings 19, we'll not take the time to read it, but notice if you will, this man by the name of Elijah, he experienced burnout. And God placed him on a short sabbatical. It worked wonders in his life. Rest will do wonders for every one of us. Elijah, God had used him to perform miracle on top of miracle on top of miracle. And then old Jezebel came after him, going to kill him. And he was so depressed. Let me tell you, when you're full of anxiety and pressure and stress, for God's sake, don't make decisions because it'll probably be wrong. If you're down and depressed, do not make decisions because you'll probably make the wrong decision. Oh, Lord, I just went out and sat down on a juniper tree. God, I just want to die. Well, what a dumb statement. If you wanted to die, why'd you run from Jezebel? She'd have lied you and killed you. But he said on his pity pot, I just want to die. And God let him take a nap. And he slept. And he was awakened by an angel. And there was water and a beautiful cake made. And he ate and he drank and he went back to sleep. And he woke again and ate and he drank. And it must have been a very good sabbatical because he ran for 40 days on that meal. Rest, rest, rest. Brothers and sisters, I cannot emphasize this enough. In the midst of all of our business, in the midst of all of our stress, in the midst of all of our anxiety, and we all have it, I don't care where you live, how much money you have, what kind of clothes you wear, how much this, that, we all live under some kind of stress. But if we can learn to go into the presence of God and rest, just resting in His presence will do more to instill more of those endorphins in our body and our spirit and we can go in the power of the strength that the Lord himself gives to us. We need to press the reset button in our own lives while we have one to reset. These bodies and minds were made just to take so much without times of refreshing. That's what Elijah did. He refreshed himself in the Lord. And I think it would behoove every one of us to do the very same thing that Elijah did. Even Jesus himself do you think Jesus faced any stress in his life? Do you think he faced any anxieties? I do. He's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Do you think it was possibly stressful 
being accused of wrongdoing? You think it wasn't stressful going to the Garden of Gethsemane and praying to your, 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 you bleed drops of blood? That's stressful. But Jesus himself came apart before he fell apart. And it behooves every one of us to learn how to come apart from the business of the world and the business of the world. Come apart before we fall apart and let God hit that reset button in our lives that we can get rid of all the adrenaline and begin to flow with the endorphins. Not only that, psychologically, but the power of the Holy Spirit can do wonders for us as well. With that being said, how are we supposed to deal with stress and anxiety since it is a major part of every one of our lives in every generation we've ever lived? Well, first of all, God knows more about us than we know about ourselves. We are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. Uh, we, are, we know that. He knows how he makes us tick and he knows what we need and he knows how we are to thrive and survive rather than go through seasons of burnout within our life. Now I went through about 16 weeks here some time ago last year on the book of James. And we went basically paragraph by paragraph. But for the next five weeks, I would like to go back and look at the book of James again, if I may, and revisit for the next five weeks discussing the issue of stress and pressure and anxiety. Just by a recap, the book of James, if you recall, was the first book of the New Testament that was written. Uh, it was written uh, talking about uh, spiritual maturity among the people of God. With that being said, uh, we also know the book of James was written between 48 and 50 A.D. It was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. We know from the scripture that after Jesus uh, was born, uh, that Mary and Joseph had other children. James was the half-brother uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. During the earthly ministry of Christ, James was not a believer in him. But after Jesus died upon the cross, after Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to 500, and one of those guys he appeared to was James. And what the life of Jesus could not do for James, the resurrection of Jesus did. And James became a believer that this is not just my brother, this is my Lord, this is my Savior, and this is my Master. With that being said, the resurrection of Jesus did that for him. After the salvation, James grew in faith to the point that he became a spokesman and a leader in the church of Jerusalem. Think about that. He became a powerful leader in the church in Jerusalem. Later, Paul referred to him as a pillar of the church. Tradition says that James was indeed a tremendous prayer warrior. As a matter of fact, they called him camel knees. And one of the reasons James was referred to as camel knees is because he spent so much time on his knees praying to the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. As he introduced himself to this epistle, uh, he doesn't refer to himself as the half-brother of Jesus, but rather he refers to himself as a bond servant. I want you to understand that. He didn't say, I'm the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the bond servant to Jesus Christ. This shows his humility, and this shows the love that James had for Jesus Christ. He was, everything he did, he was motivated by love for the Lord. But I want you to understand this. He understood that Jesus Christ was his master and his Lord, which meant Jesus was the master regardless of any situation that he found himself going through. If you and I can come to the place where we say, Lord, 
I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but I know in reality that you're already going to be there and whatever comes our way, together we're going to walk through this. I need not fret. I need not worry. I need to cast my cares upon you and leave it there. He takes the position as a humble servant. Talk about a stress buster. <laughs> Talk about an anxiety buster. When you wake up every day saying, God, you've got this. When you realize greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. God, I have needs, but my God will supply those needs. God, I'm fearful today with what's going to happen. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. But God, I'm lonely, but I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. When we come to the place that it's more than a book that we read and more than a religion that we embrace, but we have a Savior, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a God who will do exceeding and abundant above all we ask or think. When we realize it's more than religion, but a relationship with the Lord who said, I will sucker you through whatever may come your way today. We can live, friends, yes, with stress and anxiety, but we know how to give it to God and overcome it every day of our life. As a bondservant, he never had to worry about what clothes he would wear. He never had to worry, James didn't, about what he was going to eat. He didn't have to worry about where he was going to live or any of that stuff. All of these things became the concern of his master, Jesus Christ. Ah, childlike faith. Just childlike faith in Jesus. Just childlike faith in Jesus. He had been bought with a price. James was under the constant care, the constant eye of Jesus Christ the Lord. Now remember, James was writing to a group of Christians who had been scattered all over the world. Think about that. You remember what the Word of God said? Persecution had broken out in the church in Jerusalem. And the Bible said, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. We know in hindsight that God had a plan and God had a purpose. Had the persecution not come to them in Jerusalem, they may still be sitting there on their blessed assurance today. But when the persecution came upon the early Christian church, it forced them out of their comfort zone. It forced them to scatter throughout the known world. And the gospel went to all the regions where the Christians went. And the gospel finally made it all the way uh, to Rome itself. There was a purpose behind the problem. There was a purpose behind the persecution. James was writing to those Jewish Christians who were living outside of Jerusalem, who were living outside of Palestine. He was writing to those people who had lost their homes, they had lost their jobs, they had lost their paychecks, they had lost their memories of what happened, they lost their heritage, and they forfeited their dreams. Think about that. He was writing to people who had lost it all. Do you think they did not bring stress? Do you think they did not bring anxiety? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Who's going to take us in? How are we going to get money to, for food? Where is it going to come from? All of those things were in our mind. In some ways, we as Christians on this earth, we are scattered upon this earth. We're still here on this earth looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We're still looking and waiting on the one who's the light of that city. 
where the streets are of gold, the walls are of jasper, the gates are of pearl, and the gates of that city by themselves, the doors are made of gold as well. A place where there's living water. But before we go there to that wonderful place, James is writing to a people who are facing various trials and various tests and various tribulations. In many respects, I believe James was talking to a group of people of how they can deal with stress and pressure and anxiety. Think about the people to whom James was writing. The women had been uprooted from their houses. They left behind their furniture, their pots, their pans, their clothes, and a wagon load of memories along the way. Think about the men. They left their jobs along with their houses and their barns and, and their crops. And they had to forsake it in a heartbeat. What about the children? They had to leave the schools, leave their friends, their classmates. Johnny went that way and Jack went that way. Never to be seen again, perhaps, and left all their toys behind. You think that's not stress? That was stress on these people. Seniors who had difficulty uh, walking to the nearby store now would have to walk to only God knows where at, in what city, what town, what village. And if they were living from paycheck to paycheck to begin with, how are they going to survive now? That's stress upon the group of people to whom James was writing. All of them could say, where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? How are we going to survive since we're already living from paycheck to paycheck and there's no paycheck coming in next week? Looks to me like James is writing to a group of people living under stress and pressure and anxiety. Now how do they and how do we react when we face such intense pressure? How do they and how do we react when we face such stressful times? The words that James brought to his readers are just as powerful to you and me that are living in this 21st century as it was to those to whom he was writing to back then. The book of James is not a deep book theologically, but let me assure you, it's a deep book addressing how we live in a pressure cooker world full of stress, pressures, and anxiety. His words are practical. His words get right down the nitty gritty where we live today. As we go through these next five weeks, Hopefully we'll learn things from this book of James that will help us deal with stress, to deal with pressure, to deal with anxiety. We will never live in a stress-free world here. We'll never live in a stress-free world while we're in this body of flesh. I don't care if you're a millionaire, multiple millionaire. I don't care if you have an Arnold Schwarzenegger physique. I don't care if you live in the Taj Mahal. I don't care if you've got everything to eat that money can buy. I don't care if you've got the perfect marriage, the perfect family. You're going to face stress in your life. But how do we deal with it? How do we react to it? James addresses, I believe, here five facts about stress and anxiety. And as you and I sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and we learn about what he said, hopefully we can apply these truths to our life and we can deal with stress, pressure, and anxiety in a whole lot better manner. Before we go deeper into the subject, let me ask you this. This is the five things we want to talk about. Stress is predictable. How do we know that? Stress is not going to go away. Stress has never gone away. And we're going to deal with it until the day that we die or until the day we go up in the rapture. It's predictable. Secondly, stress and anxiety are problematic. Don't you know stress brings problems to your life? 
anxiety bring problem. But if we don't learn to deal with it properly, it can not only be problematic, it can be detrimental and destructive to our health, destructive to our testimony of a child of God, and it can be destructive to our well-being. Stress and anxiety can rob us of peace. It can rob us of joy. It can rob us of a lasting relationship. It robs us of hope. It robs us of our future. It robs us of our present. If we don't deal with this thing called stress and anxiety, it'll rob us right where we are. It's an early grave digger, friend. It's an early grave digger. Stress can also be paradoxical. What do I mean by that? How can stress be paradoxical? Well, look what the Bible said. James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Temptation, which means trials or tests. I'm to have joy when I go through trials and tests. That's paradox to me. That's a paradox. We think if we're on the mountain sipping on lemonade, that's joy. But when I'm facing something filling my life with pressure and stress and anxiety, how do I have joy in that? That's the paradox. And that's what I believe the Lord's wanting to teach us. How do we have joy in the midst, in spite of all the trials and all the tests and all the tribulation that we go through? We want to deal with that. In this context, temptations mean trial or various testing. And God tells us to be prepared for those various trials. Be prepared for the testing that comes our way. They're a major part of our life whether we like them or not. Now, I don't know what's going on. I'll just share this quickly. But for the last month or two, my wife and I have not gone out to eat very much. We ate some out on this trip we were on. And it seems like no matter where we go, something goes wrong in the restaurant. I don't know what it is. The waiter's not nice. Sometimes they're rude. We stopped on the way home yesterday at a Cracker Barrel. What can go wrong with a Cracker Barrel? The guy comes by, he takes the, the bill, walks by and goes. I picked it up and it was wrong. Finally came out and said, excuse me, sir. I said, but I think this is wrong. I said, well, the menu said, was I wrong? I'll fix it. He comes back five minutes later. Donna, what are we supposed to be learning? What are we supposed to be learning? It seemed like something like that happens anytime we go out anymore, so I'm just going to start eating home. <laughs> but no, there's something here to learn. And we're saying, what are we supposed to learn? And I, I thank God, do we show more mercy? Do we show more grace? What is it God's trying to teach? It's what I'm trying to say. Whatever we go through, let it be a teaching moment. Let it be a teaching moment. Life is not perfect. Relationships are not perfect. People are not perfect. And we do more by healing relationships, not by the guilty being punished, but by the innocent showing mercy. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're not going to be happy when the guilty are punished as much as when the innocent shows mercy to those that really don't deserve mercy because I didn't deserve it, nor do you. But we find that there's going to be trials. If we expect our lives to be easy, we're into the very shock of our lives because it's not. Fourthly, James tells us that stress and anxiety are purposeful. There is a purpose in the stress. There is a purpose in the anxiety. <clears throat> God often allows us to go through the furnace of stress so we can come out as gold tried in the fire. Pure and stronger than what we could ever imagine in our life. I'm reluctant to share this because I'm afraid it might come out wrong. 
At the funeral this past week, there was a young man and his wife that I knew in my early Christianity. He was a deacon at the church where I was associate pastor. We were tight. But through the years, things happened that he went his way and I went my way. We'd never seen each other for a long period of time. But we reconnected a few years back. We called each other once, twice a month. And he and his wife came into the funeral. And it blessed me because they drove about an hour to get there. And we chatted a while. When it was all over with, he texted me and he called me. And he said, when I saw you preaching, I saw a man that's been through the fires of life. I saw a man that's been tried, been tested, been hurt, been spit out for dead. But as you stood there, he said, I saw Jesus coming through. Now, friends, I don't see that in me, but he did. And I guess what I'm saying, with all the things that we go through, if we don't learn from it, what's the point of going through it? Amen. And if we're going to go through it, let's maintain the right attitude so people can sit back and say, I see what the Lord's done to you, even if we don't see it ourselves. But there is a purpose behind the pain. There's a purpose behind the trial. There's a purpose behind the anxiety. And if we learn to give it to God, we'll come out of that purpose as gold tried in the fire. And finally, James teaches us that anxiety and stress is profitable. Think about that. Like most things in a Christian life, it works out for our good, but above all, it'll work out for His glory. So these are the five things I want to talk about in the next few weeks. Stress being predictable, stress being problematic, stress being paradoxical, uh, stress being uh, purposeful, and stress being profitable within our lives. Friends, stress and anxiety, they're part of your life, and they're part of mine. We never come to a place in life where we outgrow them, never a place in life that we become mature, they don't bother us. We're under the gun all the time of our life. However, we've got to learn to deal with stress. I've got to learn to deal with stress. How about you? We've got to learn to deal with anxiety. How about you? Because stress and anxiety will rob us of our peace. It'll rob us of our joy. It'll rob us of our hope. It'll rob us of our future if we don't learn to deal with it the right way. It'll zap us of our strength. It'll zap us of our energy. And quite frankly, it makes me just want to quit sometimes. Anybody else like that? You just want to hang it. I'm done. Been that way many, many times. But there's something that God's placed on the inside. It says, get back up, son. Refresh yourself. Push that reset button and let me refresh you. It's my desire the next five weeks we can learn how to turn stress and pressure and anxiety to be our friend. Did you hear me? Pastor, are you on something? How can stress and pressure and anxiety be your friend? If you and I can learn how to turn it all back to God. And friend, I believe this is a lifetime course that we've signed up for. Amen.